Hey bosses, this week's sponsor is Buddy Insurer. We'll tell you more about them during the break. Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their own boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD. Hey bosses, this is Johnny, and welcome to episode 254 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm out. I'm here with Johannes Volkner, the founder of Nomad Cruise. Welcome to the show. Yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. So you are in your home base in Mallorca, Spain. Uh, I'm in Sri Lanka. How's it out there? Mallorca is good. So there have been recently quite a few things uh, with lockdown starting here again. But um, in Mallorca, the situation is pretty good and uh, it's beautiful. Actually, it's almost 40 degrees today. It's like a heat wave here at the moment. So normally the weather is just fine and perfect. Wow. And how far are you from the beach? I'm 20 minutes walk. Okay. Oh, fantastic. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm 10 meters from the harbor. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So at least you can cool down and you have that ocean breeze as well. Yes, yes, I do. And were you there during this whole lockdown the last couple of months? Yes, I was here the whole time. Um, and actually, it was a really crazy lockdown because we really could only leave like once a week to go to the shop. But in the end, it was nice. Um, we have a really huge roof terrace here, and there's another friend of mine living in the same building. So we just always met up there and walked like 10 kilometers on top of the roof. So that was my lockdown period, wow. reading, doing walks 10 kilometers on the roof. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. But at least you had that rooftop terrace. I was very lucky also to have kind of an empty rooftop and a balcony as well. I think if it wasn't for that, I would have been crazy. Yeah, yes, yes. I, I saw like all the people next door and like being locked completely in. And um, I felt really lucky that we were in that nice position here. Yeah, nice. But you, you said that they're starting to lock down Mallorca again or all of Spain? In Spain, there are not really locked down but they just try to um, they uh, have more higher restrictions now because the cases are going up so they just want to avoid more more trouble but in my Mallorca is not affected but it's more like the mainland of Spain like Barcelona yeah I think that the biggest fear of, of travelers right now but places are starting to open up and I too was thinking oh you know what I've been in Sri Lanka now for you know, what almost six months maybe it's time to go to to go to Europe, spend the last few months of summer there. But my fear, and I think the fear of a lot of travelers is you get somewhere and then you get locked down there and you're thinking, oh mm. crap, <laughs> We're like now what? Well, I mean, I think in general, you can almost always fly back to your home country. So that's, that's always an option. And you know a little bit in advance. I mean, you can always see how things develop, right? So if you're seeing that the, the numbers are going up, then like it doesn't happen from one day to the next. Um, but yeah, it makes it all complicated. Like the nomad life is not as it used to be, right? Yeah, things have uh, drastically changed. And that's actually the reason why I wanted to have you on the show is I was honestly like very optimistic that things would go back to normal. And every time I would hear people say travel will never be the same, nomad life will never be the same, I was also thinking you know, like give it a few months, like everything's going to be fine. And it didn't really hit me. I mean, I, I knew, you know, on the, I knew there was, you know, economic damages. And I know a lot of things have changed, but it didn't really hit me until I saw that article that the two Pullman tour cruise ships were being sent to the scrapyard and completely dismantled. And, and this is a yeah. boat that I was on for... 10 days on, on one of the nomad cruises. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, the, these things happen, right? Like the whole cruise industry is kind of, uh, finished right now. But, um, I mean, I was expecting this to happen that one day they will, they will, you know, dismantle them and stuff because these were the ships that were like in the last place where they were used, like cruise ships are usually being passed down from company to company and brand to brand. Um, but yeah, that was a, a tough thing. Like we organized, uh, 10 cruises over the last years and now pretty much all the ships that we have been on are, uh, being destroyed and sent to the scrapyard. 
it's crazy. I mean, I, I don't know if people can imagine what that means, but they're sending these boats to a harbor somewhere, probably in Bangladesh, where labor law is Tur- a little bit less strict. Is it Tur- or Turkey? Tur- yeah. And there's people physically going. I mean, first they clear out the furniture and they sell that. But then there's people physically just like cutting off pieces of the ship to sell as scrap metal and just like, you know, uh, you know, melting it down for for steel mm-hmm. or for metal. It'd be like us taking apart a, like a nice house or a nice hotel. Like imagine the the house that you grew up in being just mm-hmm. knocked down and sold for scrap wood. Mm-hmm. And it was an, it, it, it wasn't a bad boat. I mean, it was a bit older, but it like yeah. it was still a comfortable boat. Yeah. Well, the thing is that the maintenance cost of cruise ships, that is actually the real cost of the whole thing, right? So just to keep it alive, to uh, to let the engines run, and like it, it still needs always needs to be in movement. And if they don't know even for one year what they're going to be doing, <clears throat> and they already had the plans probably, like they know that the entire cruise ship industry is uh, affected. So, yeah, that was not – yeah. That was uh, there was not much that they could do about it. I think. Yeah, and I think you know when we look into it more, like financially, you know, financially, it makes sense, but it just seems so real now that a boat that we have spent, you know, a, quite a bit of time on, and, and you a lot more than anyone else. But I mean, even the ten days that I was on the boat, or the fourteen days I was on the boat, it felt like. You know, it, it felt real. Like I felt like a place. You know, I, I ate, you know, ha- you know, however many meals there. I ate like thirty meals there. You know, I slept in that room and that bed, and it's now gone. It really feels re- like real now to me. It, it feels mm-hmm. l- like my childhood home. I, I don't know why it, it, it hit me so hard, but it feels like because it wasn't just the the boat. It was the community of all the friends I made there, all the yeah. experiences I had, and this whole idea of nomad life and the nomad cruise sent to a scrapyard in Turkey. It it really makes it real. Yeah, it's a lot of people always say when they come back on the cruise, it feels a bit like coming home to their family, right? So this was quite a, uh, like a big shock for a lot of people. For me, it was also a shock, but I have to be honest that you know, I I saw this oftentimes also a, a place where I'm stressed out, you know, because I was organizing the cruises and sometimes it worked really well, but sometimes not. So I did not have this this hard goodbye. <laughs> but um, yeah, but for a lot of people, this was really a crazy thing. Yeah. You know, ironically, I feel the same about the Nomad Summit. So we had to cancel yeah. our... Um, our most recent conference uh, in Tbilisi, Georgia. And it it wasn't, you know, just that we had to postpone it. I mean, we'll probably still have it, but, you know, next summer. But it, for a while, I was actually thinking, you know, at first I was like, oh, you know, everything's going to be fine a few months. So we postponed it until uh, August. But then mm. we saw that they're not going to, they're probably not going to open up by August. And if they do, there's going to be a lot of restrictions. So, you know, very few people are going to be able to go. And we thought, you know, maybe we should push it back again until, you know, October. And we did a poll in the, in the Facebook group and people were like, look, like, it's probably not going to open again. Let's stop getting our hopes up for this year. You know, 2020 mm-hmm. is not going to be the year for in-person conferences, especially with over 100 people. Let's just try for next summer. And mm-hmm. in my mind, uh, it was honestly a huge relief because for the last probably five years since I've been doing the Nomad Summits, They've been, even though they're, you know, once or twice a year, it feels like they're back to back because mm. once one finishes, we need to have the next one kind of planned already because I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure just like with the Nomad Cruise, as soon as one is not even finished, but like midway through, people were asking, when is the next one? Where are we going? What are the dates? And it was yeah. the same for the Nomad yeah. Summit. So I had to start planning it. It also made me uh, decide, like this whole situation now, if we ever do the cruise again, that it will only be a one-year thing because it was just like the last five years were really crazy. Um, I was organizing one event after another, and basically, usually in the same week when the cruise was over, we already prepared the launch for the next cruise because we needed to kind of keep up the momentum. 
And um, yeah, that was just really, it was an interesting period where I've learned a lot, but the way I've also afterwards decided when this lockdown and all the situation came that I will take things, uh, do things a lot different in the future. And um, yeah, and not going to stress myself out again from one event to the other like this. Yeah, I, I almost feel like it's a little bit of a, a blessing for us as event organizers yeah. to have it forcefully stopped. And, and luckily, you know, these events, uh, both the Nomad Cruise and the Nomad Summit, were not our full-time, or even it was our full-time uh, responsibilities, but it wasn't our primary income. You know, both of us have our actual businesses actually pay us. While the Nomad Cruise and the Nomad Summit, in the beginning, both of them were, you know, breaking even, sometimes losing money. And then, like, uh, on a good year when everything went well, then it started to be profitable. But then we're paying more staff because it's growing and then paying for more mm. expenses. And it, there's just – with it just – the amount of time – I mean, I don't know if you ever calculated how much you actually earned per hour <laughs> that you were working for the – you know, building these uh, cruises. But for the Nomad Summit – I. I I was definitely making like minimum wage or something, planning these big events uh, when, and sometimes losing money when I could have just been working on my own businesses and making way more. Yeah. I mean, I think in general, like what I was thinking always with the Nomad Cruise was that this is something where I work for the future, right? Like it just gets a little bit bigger every year. And um, of course now. <laughs> the whole cruise industry like that stuff is not working anymore but um you know i i always like reinvested everything into the like growing this business and like optimizing this conference experience to really bring people together but um yeah so if i would calculate that down to hourly wage especially now that we had to cancel one cruise um i don't want to know that number yeah it's, it's hard um well so like this last last cruise did you have all the, like a lot of people already prepaid and booked like what what did you have to do with that yeah we had about uh 150 people and before the cruise and then we also started to see that you know sales were not going so well because the whole corona thing like conversation started in january and at one point yeah it just got more and more crazy so then in march I basically decided about two weeks before all the lockdowns happened, I decided that uh, we're not going to do this. And um, yeah, but I couldn't even talk to the cruise ship company because they didn't reply to us. So we basically canceled the cruise without any <laughs> communication to the company um, and hoping that we don't need to pay these things in the end. And then we refunded everyone. And I was really lucky that we haven't, even though we had 150 bookings, we had not paid anything, uh, which was like not the plan. But um, you know, like we had, we were lucky that we kind of kept the money on our side, and that at that moment, um, so I did not uh, lose all these things because now the company um, where we were organizing the cruise with is also insolvent. So I don't know, you know, if you ever get something like this back. Wow. Yeah, this is really hard. And this is something that most attendees never even think about is as a conference organizer, we have to put down a lot of prepayments or non-refundable deposits, usually mm. you know, up to 50% or, or higher, like months before, sometimes up to a year before if you want to lock in those dates. And this is why normally there's no refunds for for conferences, mm. you know, um, you know, I know for us, we allow name changes up to, you know, 48 hours before the conference. Um, you know, during those last two days, it's just too crazy to try to change names. But, you know, we try to be very flexible so people can give the ticket to a friend or sell it to someone else. But the reason why we normally don't allow refunds at all is because it those, like, we've already paid that money to the hotel. I mean, for, for us, you know, in Chiang Mai or in Mexico, we had to wire the money months before you know the first they want you know 50 percent as soon as you know we announce it like you know so it can be six months before and then they want the second payment you know one or two months before the conference and then sometimes we can negotiate like hey like you know could we pay the last third on the day of but sometimes you know i've, I've already paid everything 
before the conference even starts. And if we had to issue refunds, like we wouldn't get any of that money back and it would literally just bankrupt the the company and all that would come out of my pocket. And it's a, you know, it could be a lot of money for a big conference with, you know, 300 people. So it's not, you know, I know it's not fair to the attendee if, you know, the event gets canceled because of Corona or something that's unexpected. Uh, and, but it's also not fair to the, the conference company, you know, to, to take all that risk as well. So yeah. it's a, it's a tricky situation. Um, I know some people say like, Oh, why don't, why don't you get insurance for it? I mean, first, like if we did like the, you know, ticket, ticket prices would be much more expensive and people wouldn't want to pay it. But second, most like, there's not really conference insurance unless you're like, you know, some big, you know, million dollar concert. And even then they don't, co they often don't cover things like, you know, the coronavirus. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the thing is in general that oftentimes people don't really see the risk that, uh, that the organizers always running, organizing these conferences and how much time and effort gets actually to get people to a place. Um, and then they're, they oftentimes like they complain about prices but I'm pretty sure that most, uh, yeah, like in general, most event organizers, they don't make much profits at all. Um, and then when in the moment they do make profits, then they, in my opinion, they have well deserved it because they took all that risk um, to, go, to go this route, right, and organize these events. Um, so oftentimes this is a bit overseen. And um, if you do like too much on refunds, actually, the... The thing is that it makes it too easy for people to cancel and um, that could risk the entire event. So there's no way um, to give refunds, actually. Yeah, exactly. And, and this is, you know, a lot of people don't realize why we give things like early bird discounts. And it's really because we need to, uh, like a headcount. We need, you know, mm. usually we need kind of like a guarantee of, you know, that we know that the first hundred people uh, are dedicated to come or, you know, like whatever the minimum is. I, I know for our conference rooms, you know, we'll have a minimum person guarantee and then a maximum um, kind of, you know, seating capacity where that's why the prices start, you know, at very low or at half price. And then they slowly go up towards the conference. And it's the reason why like the month of or the week of the conference, the prices go to, you know, an expensive amount, not because we're trying to be greedy, but because it's really hard to squeeze in, you know, 50 extra seats, you know, after everything's already booked, you know, and we're already at maximum capacity. And, and usually that's also where you make the profit, right? Make the profit in the last, in the tickets you sell the last month or the, the last two months. And in the beginning, it's really just to cover the costs and to get people on board like the more early bird tickets you sell the more you have people actually helping you to market the event right because they say like hey i'm going to the summit <laughs> and then it helps get everyone on board so you basically hire your own marketers <laughs> yeah i mean it basically like for us the super early bird specials we're not making money from these guys i mean it's they're basically coming basically for free in um in exchange for them committing and buying a ticket early. So we know we'll have at least a hundred people, you know, that are going to come. And then, as you said, they kind of get the ball rolling. So other people, you know, hear like, Oh, like you're going to go. Okay. You know, maybe I'll think about going too. And then the mm -hmm. people who wait until the last minute, they're not doing us any favors <laughs> because they're making our jobs like harder. So, you know, uh, I don't want to say that they deserve to pay more, but that is just the way that, you know, conferences work where yeah, like the people yeah. who, you know, you get rewarded for, for buying early and taking that risk yourself. Well, the thing is, I mean, if you don't have early bird tickets, everyone would wait till last minute and then it would be impossible to organize the event. So you need kind of everyone, you need to have the, the margin at the, at the end of the day when you sell the tickets. Right. And you also need to have the people who commit early so that you can cover costs. Hey bosses, you can now venture fearlessly with a partner, Buddy Insurance. You are covered in the event of an accident while you're active, be it on the slopes, on the rocks, or in the water. Buddy is the first and only on-demand insurance in the market. The only one. 
If you ever wondered what a bad fall on the stubs would cost you, Buddy will answer that question for you in no time. It's the only accident coverage you can get for as little as a day or as long as a year. No old-fashioned phone calls. Buddy gets you covered in approximately 90 seconds on the website. It's literally designed for adventurers, risk-takers, and bosses who are active in life. You can get a free quote with the code BUDDYINSURE. Simply text the word BUDDYINSURE to 474747 to receive the link. Again, get a free quote with the code BUDDYINSURE. Just text the word BUDDYINSURE to 474747 and follow the link. So... I, th- I think I took a lot of risks personally uh, these last couple of years um, with the Nomad, the Nomad Summit. Uh, and sometimes we, we actually end up losing money for our Cancun conference. We ended up losing, I think it was about $8,000. You know, so it was basically me doing work for five months, <laughs> flying to Mexico, you know, uh, flying in my team. And then we ended up having a, a negative a negative month after I paid the salaries, you know, people's salaries for the marketing, for for all the food, all that stuff. But and I remember thinking, I'm not, I'm not doing this again. This is this is it. You know, this was, you know, this is the last time. Let's just have fun this weekend. But during that weekend, so many people came up to me and said, Johnny, thanks so much for organizing this. You know, I, it like, and they they would tell me stories like I've been wanting to be a nomad for so long. You know, I've been working uh, remotely. But at home in, you know, somewhere in the U.S., usually with Canada, and I've been wanting to take the first leap, but I was nervous because I didn't know anyone. And if it wasn't mm. for your conference, I never would have left. You know, I put this on my calendar and I said, you know, six months from now, I'm going to, whatever it takes, I'm going to get there. And it's same for Chiang Mai, too. And it was those stories and those people that made me realize, you know what, I'm in a very unique position where this is something that. I, I really enjoy doing, I'm good at doing, and I can afford to take the, the risk. And hopefully, you know, the goal was for it to become a, you know, massively profitable event sometime in the future, you know, before this Corona thing hit. But yeah. it, yeah, it, it, it was a hard gamble. Yeah. 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 It's always like this, right? With the, it's always good to have something else on the side when you do yeah. these kinds of events. <laughs> Yeah, and I really liked um, your your talk at the Nomad Summit. Uh, actually, just this past January. Uh, if anyone wants to check it out, it's on YouTube. The full talks on there for free. Just look for Nomad Summit Johannes Volkner. Uh, it's called "Building a Remote Business While Traveling," and it was uh, Johannes's kind of story about how he started uh, the Nomad Cruise, but also how he makes money. Um, you know, how, how you actually earn money. Uh, besides with, with the crews to be able to fund all this yeah 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 so i also did uh when i started out i also did um, start a e-commerce business where i partnered with my mom and helped her to to sell cards for therapy and this worked really really well and this business is still actually working really nicely and especially in the corona days we did really well um and yeah so oftentimes what uh, i can just also recommend people like there's always people like always products that people are really really passionate about right like they want to yeah do some nomad products or some yoga or whatever but oftentimes uh it's much easier to do a business where you're going into things that are not necessarily so exciting but you will have to you will have much more margins and and profitability usually and also way less competition and way less competition and uh yeah and it's uh there's also like a lot of nice things people like i mean this product that we're selling like it's we get amazing feedback for it and stuff but um i just want to say like the oftentimes we're always trying you know, to work on something that we are really passionate about. But the question is, how long is that passion always going to last for things that that we are passionate about at the moment? And then uh, oftentimes these types of real passions, if you make it into a business, it doesn't. Yeah, um, yeah, it's much harder and it's it's much harder to monetize. And um, it oftentimes also takes much more time because the competition is so huge. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I mean, the funny thing is, with the same amount of effort I put into the Nomad Summit, 
if I had started a conference or if I, if I pivot to a conference really about any other topic, all right? Like if I created a, you know, an investing conference or a learning languages conference or a, you know, learning how to, how to, you know, like even if I just picked one niche, like just a dropshipping conference, I would make mm. so much more money than a nomad, than a kind of general nomad summit. But the reason why I like it is it brings people together. And just like the nomad cruise is it brings people together from all different uh, business aspects, all different backgrounds, all different countries. And the topics are so widely ranged from different types of online business to remote workers, to entrepreneurs, uh, but also to, you know, people who are just starting out, people who are established. It kind of just brings everyone together. And I think it's a really nice community. Mm, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good, uh, it's a, it's a good thing, but it's always good to, uh, to, um, yeah, to focus on things that are to have like both, both something, uh, something difficult and something easy to work on. Yeah. So my advice to anyone, if you want to start a conference or actually any business is niche down, like if I started, you know, if I changed Nomad Summit to like copywriting summit, I would make so much more money. It'd be so much easier to find speakers you know, on the same subject, so much easier to do workshops. I can charge way more money and it would just be a way easier life. <laughs> mm, exactly. Yeah. The nomad, um, the nomad life, like in the sense of, uh, having this as a business, it's just the, the nomads, they're so smart. They know how to get everything everywhere for almost nothing. So it's really, you have to provide so much value in order to, to do anything there. And because also the, the topic is not too specific, you cannot like really go into depth. Like in, if you would do a copywriting conference, you would really bring together people who have all the same ambitions and, and the nomads is always like very, like very broad, uh, type of, of people. So um that makes it also sometimes much much harder to actually bring that value right that you can bring with when you versus when you're going really into a focus on yeah. topics yeah definitely and but i think that having this kind of wide range of people really it's good for building friendships it's good for opening our minds and ultimately we end up doing better in both our you know our business life as well as our our, our kind of normal life because we're exposed to people from all different backgrounds instead of just being in an echo chamber of just people who are interested in Bitcoin, for example. Mm, yes, for sure. It's a much, much nicer, like diverse, diverse group in that sense. Yeah. So that's the real, like really the only thing I'm going to, I'm going to miss from all this. And I would almost rather have someone else just organize it and have me be a speaker there, you know, or you know, even just as an attendee. And this is why I liked going to know my crew so much is because you know, even though it's funny, a lot of people actually thought I was somehow uh, working with the Nomad Cruise or in involved in it, um, kind of you know business-wise. But I was like, no, I, I literally just went as an attendee, you know. And then I was like, okay, if I'm going to be there anyways, I might as well give a talk. Mm. But I really liked not having any responsibility while I was there. Yeah, I also like to go to events where I have nothing to do. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so if in a few months. You know, if the or maybe next year, if cruising starts opening up again and it starts, you know, things, you know, uh, start getting lifted, it start lifting up. Will, will you be excited? You know, will you plan another Nomad cruise? Would you take that risk and that investment of planning another one, or would you wait a few years to see, you know, how it pans out? Like, what would your plan be? So I think I would do a cruise. I would never do more than one per year um, again. And um, the way how I would do it is I would just send out a survey and I would just check if people are interested and what is the general mood. That is uh, something that everyone should do in general, right? Like t see what is the interest at this moment. And when I have a good feeling that we can sell like a lot of cabins, without too much, you know, that we need to go and invest money into marketing, then I'm happy to organize it again. But um, I will just wait for the time. And 
when when the time is right i will send out this email and say like guys are you happy to go again and then we'll do it that's very smart and, and that's actually another good uh point you brought up is with the marketing that money isn't recouped so even if we can negotiate uh, to get a refund from our deposits from you know mm -hmm. the, the cruise line or the hotel venue things like marketing uh and also paying the the staff to even manage it yeah. that is sunk costs so that's thousands of dollars that you know basically got got people's attention so they heard about the cruise or heard about the nomad summit and then they bought the ticket but if we refund 100% of the ticket all that money that we had spent on marketing you know literally you know 3000 plus dollars you know, and plus the the monthly salary of whoever is running those ads, and you know, who's on the team, and then also the person who has to answer the emails to uh, yeah. to to even do the you know to answer the questions about like what's happening with the cancellations, and then to issue the refunds. All that is money that is we never see again. So people are happy they get their you know three hundred or five hundred or thousand dollars back, but really like we're also losing money just give me that refund it's not like we just give the money back yeah i could have bought a nice car like like the money that i lost on the because we had to cancel the cruise like um i had spent uh we had spent quite a lot of uh, money actually in marketing in in the states because it was like a new market and there were not so many people who like know us there except from your audience of course <laughs> and uh, so we had spent quite a bit of money into this and we made new websites and stuff and uh, this is all things that i basically will never get back from the last cruise wow so you're talking like more than ten thousand dollars yeah way more oh my god i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> Uh, it's okay. I, I don't. I don't mind. But, um, but yeah, it was quite a bit. Uh, quite a bit that we lost there because we had already like prepared quite a, a bit and invited even some speakers and stuff. And um, yeah, so um, yeah, that was things that we. I I could have bought a decent car. Yeah. Yeah, and not like a used Honda Civic, but like a like a nice new car. <laughs> like a new car, yes. <laughs> Yeah, man, that, that really sucks. I was pretty lucky that this Tbilisi conference, uh, first, it was still so far away, but second, it was the one of the first times I partnered with um, with the venue itself. So we partnered with Fabrica, which is kind of like a, a co-working, co-living, hotel, hostel mm. kind of concept. Uh, it's very similar to Selena. Um, you've been in a couple of those, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in Mexico, we partnered with the Selena, but we still had to rent the actual convention center because they didn't have a, a stage. Um, so it ended up saving us some money on, um, you know, some things like the, the workshop rooms and the pool party. But we started to pay for the convention center. But in Tbilisi, we had a deal with Fabrica where we were basically going to have everyone stay there, uh, which is better for kind of networking and hanging out anyways, almost kind of some of the benefits of the cruise where everyone's eating together, hanging out together, but we were able to use their, their seminar room for free. So I was very, very lucky. We didn't have a deposit on that. So the money that we lost was, you know, like staffing costs, the marketing costs. Um, and I actually, at the end, it was like, it was me uh, and one other person answering all the emails, like for months, you know, like, like, is it going to be postponed? Like what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And I had decided, I was like, you know what? I'm sure 50, like more than 50% of the people would say, Oh, just hold on to the money for the next, for the, you know, and, uh, or transfer it to the next event. But I realized, you know what? It's going to be so much easier if I just go down the list and just refund every single person a hundred percent and not even spend the money and the time dealing with the email mm -hmm. customer service. So, I ended up losing quite a bit of money, you know, issuing that. But at the end of the day, it was just less of a headache for for everyone. Yeah, I mean, we did that too. We refunded everyone. Um, but for example, there was one other event in the in the states where I was going to go to a cruise, and um, it was a really expensive ticket, uh, and they did not do this. <laughs> so I got quite mad at them because. 
I thought, you know, like, I mean, you're organizing a thing on a, on a cruise ship that obviously it's not going to happen and you want to postpone the event, but you don't want to refund. So, um, yeah, I didn't want to be that person, but I get really mad when they did this with me and just still have my money today. Yeah. And it's hard, you know, because they don't, there's not like a set date of, you know, Oh, don't worry. Next May it's, it's happening for sure. You know, because with the cruise line industry, it's really, really up in the air if it's going to happen in 2021 or 2022 or maybe, maybe later. Yeah. It's very hard to say exactly. Yeah. Um, so we'll see this, how this works out. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, I think that, uh, we're going to, yeah, well, I would like to organize a cruise sometime, but see when, uh, when, when the time is right. Yeah, that's good. So the only people we, the only two uh, people we didn't refund uh, is our two sponsors. And luckily they were both super cool and on board. And they're like, yeah, just, you know, we understand, hold on to it for the next, for the next one. So I want to give a shout out to Hyperskew and e-residency of Estonia because, you know, they, they basically said, don't worry, you just transfer the sponsorship to the next event. And thank God, because that would have been even more negative in my bank account if, <laughs> if they had, you know, tried to negotiate uh, something. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. But, you know, for them, you know, they get like a full year of uh, free sponsorship. You know, whenever someone goes to nomadsummit.com, they see it on there. So if anything, like, you know, they're, they're, they're probably happy. When do happy you that... plan to do the next event? What do you have in mind? Do you have anything in mind? Yeah. So we, we, we pushed it back to May, mid-May of 2021, so we can do um, Tbilisi again. Some people really wanted me to do another Chiang Mai one this January, because like, we normally have it every January. But yeah. I don't think I don't think things are going to open. Um, the hotel even emailed me, the Shangri-La, saying, hey, you know, are you coming back again? And yeah. I wrote them, I said, look, to be honest, like I would like to, but I'm not going to risk putting down $10,000 as a deposit uh, if, and, or even just wasting the time and money um, collecting the payments because, you know, even just like accepting payments costs, you know, ends up costing less money, you know, especially if they refund it later. So I told them and the kind of official stance is if everything opens back up uh, at least three months beforehand, and there's not really much uh, restrictions, everything's okay, then I would consider doing uh, another conference in, in this year, in, you know, uh, in, in December or January. But most likely, I'm, we're not going to do one until next May. Mm. Or you could do like a super spontaneous one, but um, then it would be just way smaller and doesn't really make sense now. Yeah, because, you know, part of the, the fun of the Nomad Summit is, and also Nomad Cruise, is there's, you know, always, you know, 200, 300, 400 people there. I think 400 is actually a little bit too big, to be honest, but I think both for the cruise and the summit, around 300 is kind of like a magical number where you can still meet everyone, but there's so many people to meet and hang out with, so it's good energy. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, it does. It's, uh, it's. I mean, I I tried to do like actually I do like little uh, some little meetups uh, soon, but um, like organizing events or whatsoever, we just really need to wait and until we have like three quiet months of not uh, news changing and travel bans, and then it's possible to do stuff, and then probably the whole world will organize events at the same in the same month. So uh, that is also going to be an interesting thing how this will play out. Yeah, and I think I, I do think that uh, you're right. Where once everything starts opening up, there's gonna be like a flood of events because everyone wants to, you know, get together again. But during this lockdown, I've actually personally I've become more of a introvert. I think you've always known me as a very extroverted person, mm -hmm. but the last five months I've been in isolation uh, for the you know, for the first three months. I mean, for the first uh, month I was with um one person in the whole building for first okay. i think two months and then i was for one whole month completely alone <laughs> and i started to really like it and it's weird you know now i'm traveling again i have some friends i'm, I'm dating someone 
but even then I, I don't want to go out and be surrounded with a bunch of people. Um, I don't, I, I'm not even excited to, you know, host meetups or, you know, even attend, um, you know, gatherings. I'm just like, you know what? I'm okay. Just hanging out with one or two friends having like small get togethers and that's it. Yeah. It's also nice. No, it's, uh, it's, Something especially that I had after the the cruises when there were so many people around that I just um, I just uh, really like to have like really, really small conversation like small conversations not more than four people. Yeah, because I, I imagine you as more of an introvert, right? Um, it yeah, it depends like in in what environment I am. And who I'm around with, and I'm like more reserved, definitely when it's a lot of like new people, and I need to like start the conversations from scratch. Versus uh, things can be a little bit different when it's a smaller group. Yeah, and but it, it is it is kind of uh, curious why uh, someone who you know s- seems a bit more introverted would start something like the Nomad Cruise and want to be. <laughs> around yeah. that many people so um my biggest problem was always that i was so i was traveling and in the beginning i really loved it but i after a while i started to get really annoyed by these conversations right by the it, because it was always like the same conversations between the travelers and I was not, you know, like it didn't excite me to talk about accents or whatsoever anymore. And that actually made me, I think, what's a bit more introverted because I just wasn't really so interested being part of this anymore. And I just wanted to connect to people who are, you know, who are thinking about the same stuff like me. Um, and that was my drive to create the cruise because I just wanted to be around people who are also like digital nomads and who are doing this because I had traveled with a few nomads before I organized the cruise and I always thought it was really, really fun. But of course, like at the moment, it's not, I mean, I'm I'm the organizer, but I have met so many people and I'm also getting sometimes a little bit tired of talking about the same things in the nomad life, right? So it's it's every time like when you had something or when you've been going some route for a longer time, then you kind of take yourself out this out of this a little bit. So but in the beginning, I just really wanted to be around people who were thinking the same like me and like lots of them so that, you know, that I can choose who I want to be around with. And and um, yeah, so um I think that was my drive because it was actually really hard to meet anyone like this before. Uh, yeah, for me, it was exactly the same. Uh, even though Chiang Mai, this was back in, you know, I started in 2013 and it was hard to meet, to get five other people together who had, who had a similar mindset. You know, I think yeah. there was, you know, I mean, there, there might have been more than 10 digital nomads or entrepreneurs in Chiang Mai back then, but we wouldn't, like, you wouldn't meet them. So mm. it wasn't until I think it was 2014, maybe 2015, where we start, there started to be you know these no, kind of digital nomad meetups, but they were all either part of uh, like a paid community, like the DC, where you had to pay yeah. every month to be part of it, and then not everyone had access, or it was always at a bar, like or some loud uh, like nightclub venue, where you would meet each other, but you couldn't really talk or learn from each other, exchange ideas. And I was really frustrated thinking, man, like in this room of, you know, 40 people, there's a lot of knowledge we can share and learn from each other. Why doesn't mm-hmm. someone just organize something where we have a projector, you know, we have a, you know, like not even a microphone, just like some, yeah. some chairs and maybe some coffee and learn from each other. And, and that's why I started the Nomad Summit, but I continued it because the, I don't like calling it networking because it sounds so contrived and you know enforced but the connections and the friendships that you make at a paid conference even if it's not a super expensive paid conference it doesn't need to be like a ten thousand dollar or one even a one thousand dollar conference it's just any kind of paid conference or event it attracts 
a different level of people who are more serious about learning and usually actually more successful people or people who will become more successful than the the free meetups, you know, or especially mm. the online um, or just like, you know, talking on a Facebook group or something like at the people at the Nomad Cruise that I met, the people at Nomad Summit that I met, people at all the paid events that, that I've personally attended, those people in general are way more successful than just the, you know, the people I talk to online on Reddit or on, on, in Facebook groups or at the free, you know, the free meetups, just because I think they're just more dedicated. Mm. Yeah. I mean, they want it more, right? Like they're more interested in, in, in these things, like making that, that thing work. And, um, yeah, actually the, uh, yeah, that there's a lot, um, a lot to just organizing more paid things than versus free. I used to organize a lot of free meetups as well in Tarifa and, uh, like in Spain at the same time when you started in Chiang Mai. But, um, yeah, I also noticed after a while that I was doing this and it, but it didn't get me like people just did that. Like it didn't get me much, get me anywhere. Um, and at the end of the day, like even if you're organizing the, the, the free events, um, if you're switching to other, other types of events or whatsoever, then most of the people you're going to lose them as, again one day. Right. So, yeah. uh, that is also one actually that's one tip that I have for people like if if you're thinking that in the beginning you just do a lot of things for free and you organize a lot of free things for for people in the moment when you switch to be more paid um, you're going to lose a lot of the like the work that you've actually done in the past so it might make some sense after a while like to make this switch very early and not wait too long yeah I, I definitely agree uh, and I also noticed, like, for example, uh, in Chiang Mai, I started the Nomad Coffee Club every Friday. And for five years, it's been pretty much every Friday. Uh, and it's and it's always been free. And sometimes you would get some really good people in attendance. Sometimes you get some really good speakers. But in general, it's just, like, you know, people who are new in town or just, you know, happen to want, want to come. Like, the people who are already uh, very successful in their business the people who are you know already making six figures they you know have they have definitely come but they don't come every week they kind of just come like once in a blue moon or like once you know like when it kind of when they mm. feel like it and a lot of them i asked like you know why don't you come more often they're like ah you know i don't really need to go and i was like i know but like it's fun right why don't you just come and they're like ah honestly you know like i don't want to be around a bunch of people who are asking me stupid questions and then not uh taking taking action when like once i spend my time to tell them like what they should do and the reason why they go to the nomad summit every year is because they know that if they're going to spend five minutes you know sharing a tip with someone that person's probably going to actually uh do it <laughs> you know they're like mm. they're the type that like i think it's a different mentality like the people who won't pay for anything and expect everything kind of for free the usually they're very pessimistic they're always kind of looking for why something won't work and they're always looking for more free information or better free information instead of just taking the advice and doing it while people who are willing to pay for something whether it's a course or a conference usually they have a more of an abundant mindset where they think oh okay you know uh let me see what works and you know let me just try it and if it works i'll continue doing it you know maybe i'll pivot maybe it's not you know necessarily for me but you know let me like if if someone is successful and they're giving me some advice maybe i'll actually take the time to listen to it instead of um thinking of all the reasons why it doesn't work or just wanting yeah. more and more information before even taking action yeah you have to pay money to make money right that's the that's the thing oftentimes yeah. So I'm personally a little bit sad that all these conferences that I normally go to every year are now canceled. Is there anything for 2020 that you're still planning to go to or is still on? Um, yeah, so not uh, no specific events. Like I'm organizing some events for the Nomad Cruise community. We're trying this this uh, work and travel club. It's like a new idea that I'm I'm working on now. 
but um, these will be like really small events and it's more like a test so what I'm building now is more like for the future and um, but besides that like there's nothing uh, no events or anything that I see in the this year happening actually there are many events happening here in Mallorca with uh, social distancing like even for up to 400 people so it's it's possible but the whole regulations when you're making bigger things they're just crazy wherever you go and the fines also so uh, I'll stay away from that yeah I see that so uh, tell me more about this uh, new project you're working on um, yeah, so basically what happened was that I was looking for some ways to, um, um, now that we can't do the cruise anymore and we can't do any major big events, I wanted to make it easier for people to meet around the world, but not necessarily in places that are already get a lot of nomads, but places that are a little bit more off the track. Because, for example... You know you can go to Chiang Mai and meet some nomads, and you know you can go to Bali and do this, but you can't meet nomads in Zanzibar, right? Or you can't meet nomads in Cape Town. There's also like a very small community, and there's not really uh, too many places where you can go snowboarding and stuff. And so basically, I wanted to start. The idea was to start a travel club where people can meet in different places around the world and um, to make it easier, you know, to get a bit off the track. And the other thing that I saw was that um, you meet a lot of people on your journeys, like as a digital nomad, you meet people everywhere, like, um, and you basically build this huge network around you. But the network that you're building around yourself is not really connected in each in a way. And I think that as part of some kind of club or what's, you know, that I'm starting it makes it easier for people to meet similar people again that all know each other, which is kind of what we had on the cruise. And that can uh, create really, really great collaboration and actually make people successful much faster. Um, do you understand what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> I, definitely, I definitely like the concept. I'm just trying to imagine uh, the way it'll work. I mean, how many people yeah. do you envision to be in this club? I envision that my goal is 5,000 people. Wow. Okay. So I would like to do this for 5,000 people. That is my goal. Um, because then afterwards it gets anonymous again. And um, basically I would like to start a community for 5,000 people around the world that really supports each other throughout the whole year that meets in different places. And um, yeah, that is uh, something that I'm just now trying out in a very, very small scale. And then if this works, then we will open this up after Corona much, much bigger. Okay. It definitely makes sense. I mean, at first, you know, 5,000 sounds like a big number, but I guess if it is worldwide, it needs to be that big of a number because exactly. if you, let's say if you only had 500 people, the chances of having, you know, five people or, you know, in Zanzibar at one time would be zero. But if you have 5,000, then it's possible to get five or 10 people together at once. Yeah. And there can even be like a hundred people at the same time in places. And I don't know if you remember from the cruise, like the reunions that we always organized afterwards, yeah, um, those fun. where sometimes we had 100 people in a small town and they all kind of know each other. It's not that the hundred people hang out at the same spot all the time. But I just really, you know, like enjoyed this, for example, when we were in Rio de Janeiro with 100 people at the same time and someone starts to book a helicopter trip and then everyone else join. Like, you know, like you can do things that otherwise you wouldn't really do because you need to look into like, how do I organize this? Or like, I don't have friends who have the money to pay for this, you know, and then one person starts organizing helicopter trips and then I think over 20 people went you know, over the next days, um, always going on this trip. And there are like amazing experiences when you that you can have when you have a large group of people in the same place and that group already kind of knows each other a little bit. Yeah, or at least has some kind of connection, you know, just... That has got some kind, some kind of connection because if you always... The, the thing is now, the nomad life, it becomes so huge, like... There are 500 people in, or 1,000 people in Chenggu and 
all at the same time, but it's still like then it becomes more anonymous again and people just hang out in small groups or one party you go there, there's 20 people, then the next day you meet another 20 new people. But I believe more like it's good to create lasting connections and we also don't need to know everyone around the world. Um, but it's good like as a nomad, you know, you're a little bit lonely sometimes and it's good when you meet people again and you don't always need to ask the question where you're from but you can actually say like how is your uh, e-commerce shops going did you work on your conversion optimization or whatever right yeah so you or even, start yeah. you finished last right or even just like not even needing to ask those questions in the first place and just you know feeling comfortable being around them, knowing that they probably have mutual mm. friends, that they've been on a shared experience. And I remember this specifically when we were in, I believe it was, it was Santorini or even in Athens, mm. I remember. Uh, it was after the, the cruise, you did the reunion. Um, well, first the, the Santorini meetup was super fun. But then even two weeks later in Athens, which is a pretty big city, I would randomly see someone with the Nomads uh, cruise bracelet or the t-shirt and even though I had not met them, you know, or somehow didn't meet them <laughs> or even see them on the cruise itself, like we would create a bond and just start hanging out have dinner together or something. And it was like an instant connection knowing that we were on this, this shared experience. Yeah. Yeah. You need to kind of create similar topics and similar knowledge for people so that they can exchange each other, right? And that they, that is, I mean, that is also the experience of the Nomad Summit, right? That you're going together through this program, that you talk about similar topics and and people make progress. And um, with things getting like, in the beginning, the, the biggest problem in the Nomad life was to actually meet nomads, right? And now I think the problem is more that you can meet a lot of people, but it's still like oftentimes it's just like a one evening conversation and they're actually really, really nice. So it would be nicer if you find some easier way to uh, keep in touch with them. Right. Um, so yeah, they, there's a, um, a lot that can be done. <laughs> yeah. I can see that. And I really liked, um, and, and you know, I took a lot of ideas from being an attendee, uh, at, nomad cruise actually to the nomad summit and one of it was the these meetups afterwards so what mm. we did in Chiang Mai uh, two years ago is after the nomad summit we you know I had organized a meetup on one of the islands in Koh Lanta and a decent group of us maybe 30 or 40 people uh, all flew down together and most of us were on the same flight which makes it super fun <laughs> we all shared a, a like a yeah. you know a couple of these big vans together and it was fun just extending the the trip um, mm. for another you know one or two weeks, hanging out, co-working together, doing cool stuff. The only reason why we didn't do it again this year was I realized it was exhausting to go straight from you know yeah. planning the conference, the conference to flying to an island and then being around and having needed to organize everyone again. So yeah. this last year we just did like small day trips, like going to the the waterfalls and you know other kind of meetups, but. I did like the concept of, you know, having everybody stick around and, and meet up afterwards and, you know, um, especially to do like a trip together. Mm. I mean, you could just uh, postpone it for one week, right? You could say like next Sunday, we're all meeting in Kulanta. Whoever wants to come there, uh, we'll keep it like super informal and stuff. And it's the thing is that on these events, like even like even though Norman Cruise is also two weeks I believe that, you know, there's always so many people around. So you just really, you either make one friend, right? Or you make like 30 connections, 30 nice connections. But when you have these reunions or these events after these conferences, that's when you really make friends, right? Because then you have much more time. You have like 10 people or whatsoever that you spend time with in this uh, and do things with. And uh, that that is much oftentimes like uh, much more powerful in the way that you make um, friendships. Um, whereas on the shorter events, like uh, yeah, even Nomad Cruise, 
it's more like that you have a lot of like shorter conversations and then you can't find the person, you know, again on the yeah. next for the next three weeks. Well, even during the Nomad Cruise, I remember uh, on one of the, I think it was maybe Nomad Cruise 6, we did a uh, an excursion where we got into some, it was like some, some Jeep Safari or something. And I remember just being in the car, you know, and driving for, you know, half an hour, an hour. And during that time, I actually made, you know, kind of the the most genuine friendships and, and connections because I, I finally had like an hour sitting next to like one person and, and talk, you know, and, and just mm-hmm. to talk to them versus mm-hmm. even on the boat, like you're just m- moving around. There's always someone else coming to, I don't want to say interrupt, you know, but just you yeah. know, to join the conversation and say, hi, there's always something, you know, and there's, it's always like, okay, let's get to the next thing. Let's get to the next thing. Let's go eat. Let's yeah. go do this. You really need to make time. You need to schedule time with people to talk. Um, and then you can, uh, that, that you can do. And that brings you for like, but uh, otherwise, it's basically the whole cruise is a big group conversation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so my my kind of one you know regret is not going on one of those longer um, uh, over was it cross cross Atlantic yeah. cruises. Yeah. Uh, it's not big difference. Well, I mean, you on the other ones on the shorter ones, you can't really. Yeah. But you can't really make these these long conversations. You don't really take the time to then sit down with someone for two, three hours, uh, which is something that you would do on a two weeks cruise. But I think the key is really to stick around and um, to like join some reunions or something afterwards. And uh, that makes it um, yeah more easy. Yeah. And what's funny is for all the cruises, but also the Nomad Summit, I would always be in the location one month before, just assuming that there'd be a ton of people who would also show up a month before. I mean, we're digital nomads, you know, we can work yeah. anywhere. And if people are going to fly to, uh, you know, Grand Canary in, uh, in Spain or to Chiang Mai or to, you know, um, you know, to, to any of these places like Tbilisi, you would think that people would go a month before, settle in, go yeah. work, do stuff, and then do the do the conference or, or the cruise but i actually i noticed that most people were i think there were most people were afraid to show up too early and not know anyone so they would all come just like two days before yeah i think it's the best thing that you can actually do when you go to conferences is to arrive at least two three days before or like even two weeks or one week before because like this you really get to know people in smaller groups and you already have like all your connections ready for the whole event and then it's just more 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 and more people joining so it really makes sense to like even come a bit early i would never go to uh to an event just like on the day before it starts because then you're kind of like one out of a thousand or whatsoever right but if you come a little bit earlier then you can make some nice connections before the event actually starts and it's uh, oftentimes you will get so much more value out of it, but then you still need to make like a move and maybe meet some new people and not your friends that you make in the first few days. That's yeah, what I, I see often. Yeah, I definitely agree. And also as a networking tip, if, uh, if you call it that, is if you want to meet the speakers and the event organizers, they are going to be there three days before. You know, the attendees can just show up the day of or the night before, but Every time I've uh, been a, a speaker somewhere, I, I have to be there two, three days before. Sometimes for um, rehearsals or just to settle in, things like that. And I remember, and it's not just for my conference, but I was a speaker at Affiliate World, and I I got there, you know, two nights before to do some like, rehearsals and things like that. And that night, I just went to the hotel um, bar. And this is another tip is, you know, stay at the hotel bar, like stay at the hotel, uh, the host hotel if you can. I went up there and I saw 10 people sitting together. You know, I didn't know if they were part of the conference or not, but I kind of just maybe assumed maybe they would be. So I just walked up and said, hey, you guys are for Affiliate World. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, come hang out. So I ended up making 10 friends right away. And it turns out that, you know, some of them were uh, were working with the conference. Some of them were the sponsors. Some of them were the speakers. And 
these were, you know, the highest level people who are, you know, uh, all making over six figures a year or building these million dollar businesses. And these people have plenty of time two days before the conference, but they're not going to have time during the conference uh, itself or even after. Yeah, that's true. Because the more once they've been on stages, then they're just going to be surrounded by people all the time. And um, but before the event actually starts, everyone is more shy and <laughs> they are being left alone, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, so I am looking forward to the future of both the Nomad Cruise as well as the Nomad Summit, but also just conferences and events uh, in general. Uh, I, I think it was kind of a, a nice break from it for both of us to organize. Yeah. But I have a feeling that even though right now we're like, oh, okay, this is a nice break. <laughs> I think once things open back up, we're both going to get excited again and be like, okay, let's make it happen. Mm. Yeah, that, that might be true. Like um, at the moment, it's just like really difficult to find the way, right? But uh, once things are easy to put together again, and uh, then for sure. Yeah, I love it. So Johannes, thank you so much for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you, and have a great time in Sri Lanka, all right? Yeah, will do. And if people want to check out, you know, get on the mailing list for Nomad Cruise to see kind of upcoming events, but also check out your new program, how can they find it? They just go to nomadcruise.com, um, and uh, yeah, and they can just subscribe there. We're going to send out more information there. And the other thing they can do is, they can go on Facebook and join the Global Digital Nomad Network. Uh, that is a Facebook group that I started and has now over 50,000 members. So they could join there as well and say hello. And um, I'll also share more information there very soon. Okay, awesome. And if you guys want cool. to take a look at that, the talk uh, from Johannes from earlier this year at the Nomad Summit, uh, you can go to the show notes of this episode, which is 254 at travellikeabosspodcast.com or just go on YouTube, search Nomad Summit. Johannes will have uh, links to everything. You can watch Building a Remote Business While Traveling, uh, the kind of story of Johannes's business uh, that, that he created with his mother, but also Nomad Cruise. Uh, and if you guys want to get on the mailing list for Nomad Summit to see updates, just go to nomadsummit.com. But to be honest, I'm not sending out very many emails. I'm taking a big break from it. So if you want to hear what I'm personally up to, go to johnnyfd.com. Sign up for that email list there. Johannes, thanks again. Danke schön. And enjoy Mallorca. Yeah, danke schön. And uh, enjoy Sri Lanka. And we'll keep in touch and chat very soon. All right. Ciao. Cool. Ciao. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.